As you probably know, I've spent a great number of hours over the past six or eight weeks uh, studying the history of the church and looking through boxes of photographs and reading the ancient minutes and all that sort of stuff. And, and at one point, I entertained the idea of when we invited people in to speak, of putting their pictures up there on the screen uh, behind them. Uh, and most of those pictures, well, I have pictures from David Blaney when he was in high school here, right? And pictures of Bob a few years ago. And, and then I realized that as much as I love my administrative assistant, Aaron, that if I would embark on that trip, I could probably be sure that at times pictures of me 50 years ago would find their way into the slide show. And so I decided I would not do any of those things and we'll have those kinds of pictures on the historical displays at another time and not at this time. It is a, pr a privilege this morning to welcome Bob to the pulpit. Uh, he's been a, a leader at this church for many, many years, and we're delighted to have him come and preach the word to us this morning. Bob, if you'd come. Dear Lord, I pray that the words spoken today will be your words, the words that we need to hear, and that they would encourage and challenge each one of us to draw closer to you and closer to each other. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I started attending this church in 1976 after graduating from Eastern Nazarene College and uh, starting work at the Travelers Insurance Company. <clears throat> Shortly after I started attending, I witnessed the blessing of God and the faithful servants of the saints in this church. Uh, as we made renovations to the church building, which at the time was the building across the parking lot, in order to um, accommodate and add the ministry of the Cornerstone Christian School. In 1981, I believe there were five grades and maybe 33 children that we started with. That ministry quickly grew and outgrew that building. And in 1985, Pastor Chatto had a vision that we should have a building program. There were three main needs for a new building. One is we needed a larger sanctuary. Uh, the second is that we needed more classrooms to accommodate the K through 12 school, which we were growing, moving towards. And the third was that we needed um, a place for fellowship because the basement of the other church, uh, which was originally used for church dinners and for wedding receptions and for baptism, um, had now been converted into classrooms and a lunchroom, so we lacked a place for fellowship. Uh, early on in the process, we were seriously considering building a high school in Tolland and starting a church there. A land had been donated to the church to do that. And, we're, and we were gonna have this existing facility have a, a elementary school and maybe junior high that would feed the high school. Um, eventually, God led us to build this building in 1988. Um, and it might seem obvious now that, well, why wouldn't you do that? But at the time, there were a bunch of oak trees, a small ball field, and a youth building back here. I don't think we even realized how much property we had. And until someone from the outside came and walked this property, they said, well, why don't you just build this facility here? 
And so we built this building in 1988. It, it met all the needs in a single location, a larger sanctuary. Um, we were actually going to have the gym be our fellowship hall and we were going to have a kitchen there. Um, and as it turned out, we, we ran out of money, the school was growing, they needed that space, and we realized, well, the foyer was a place that we could do that, and so we've had fellowship in the foyer for the past 35 years, I guess. Um, the effort involved in designing the building and planning a K through 12 school and all the related details was a massive undertaking. Um, managing and financing the building project required a total commitment of the leadership, of the members and friends of this church. This facility cost $3 million to build and we took out a million dollar bank loan. At the time, uh, we had somebody on the board of the bank and um, we convinced the bank to give us a great rate on the million dollar loan, which was 11% at the time. And, uh, the, and, but the other $2 million came from the congregation. $800,000 was cash paid for pledges and a million two was an investment in church bonds. So we had 2.2 million of debt starting out and the uh, annual interest on that debt was $225,000 a year, um, which of course was a lot of money. Um, we refinanced the debt over the next 10 years as interest rates fell. If my memory serves me correct, I think we refinanced at least seven times uh, to help lower the interest payments and try to get the payments to a manageable place. And during that time, there were many years when the congregation, we needed special fundraising in order to keep the budget in balance and to, to pay down our debt. And we're so thankful that today we're standing here saying, you know, the debt is paid off. When I, when I think about the commitment and the service that I've witnessed at this church over the past 47 years, it reminds me over and over again about what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is that those in Christ are one body with many parts. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through... Um, 21 and then verse 27. I got really nervous two weeks ago when Gary uh, Light stepped up here and he said, well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I turned to Phyllis, I'm like, what? Like, I'm gonna talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But fortunately, we're, it's a big chapter and we're talking about different things. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And then in verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Um, what I'd like us to think, each one of us to think about today, I'd like each one of us to try to answer these questions for ourselves. Um, what special blessings has God given to me and what is God's expectation of me? What special blessings has God given me and what is God's expectation of me? First, let's think about natural abilities that God's blessed us with. In Matthew 23, verses 14 and 15, it says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted them with property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one talent, each according to his ability. The parable goes on to say that the servant who received five and the servant who received two put the money to work, they gained more, and they were rewarded equally. The servant receiving one hid it, did nothing, and what he was given was taken away. That servant is called worthless and thrown outside into the darkness. In this parable, the man going on the journey represents Jesus, and we're the servants that were entrusted with his property. Jesus is setting expectations for each one of us during the time between his first and second coming. I just want us to focus on two things though. One, the master entrusted some of his servants with more than others based on ability. Meaning, some of us have greater ability than others. And of course we know that. Second, even though some are entrusted with more, everyone receives something. Therefore, everybody in this congregation is blessed with some sort, some number of natural abilities. You might be a natural born leader. You might be a follower. One is not better than another, it's just different. If you've ever seen the movie Good Will Hunting, it's about a young man with a genius level IQ he chooses to work at a jan as a janitor at MIT. When he solves a difficult graduate level math problem, his talent is discovered by a professor who helps him reach his potential. To some people, like Will in the movie, numbers and solving complex problems came very easy to him, even easier than some of the professors there. Secondly, um, but to other people, maybe words come easier. Some people have a great fear of public speaking. Some people find it not to be difficult. Some people are born with great musical ability. Others are tone deaf, like my father. 
Um, some have a good sense of humor. Others are born with tremendous athletic ability. Whether they're personality traits, physical characteristics, intellectual ability, we all have something to offer, and what we have to offer is different for each of us. But we are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. As illustrated by Jesus in the parable of the talents, God's expectation for us is that we develop and use whatever natural abilities he's given to us to show, to show the love we have for Christ and for others. In addition to natural abilities, uh, we also have been given spiritual gifts. In the first verse of 1 Corinthians 12, and this gets into the part that Gary had read, Paul warned about practical ignorance of spiritual gifts. He wrote, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Later on in verse six, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Later in verse 11, he tells us that spiritual gifts are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Therefore, each of us as followers of Christ receive spiritual gifts. They're different. Some are gifted more than others and we receive them from the Holy Spirit just as he determines. There's lists of spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Ephesians chapter four and what I'd like to do is I'd like to read um, some verses from Ephesians chapter four uh, uh, where a short list is beginning with verse 11. And then we can put slide one on the screen which will summarize some of, some of what I'm reading. Um, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here, apostles, pastors, teachers, those in that kind of leadership, you know, why are they given the gifts they're given? The reason is not for selfish reasons, but it's to build up the body of Christ and for service, it says in verse 12, to foster unity and spirit, spiritual maturity for each one of us in verse 13, the stability of the church in verse 14, to, so that we can grow in our relationship to Christ, verse 15, and so that the body of Christ will grow in love, verse 16. Now, there's other gifts as well. Let me list some. The gift of prophecy, wisdom, 
knowledge, faith, contributing generously to the needs of others, teaching, encouraging, hospitality, showing mercy. Those are just a few. There's others as well. But let's look at closely at the first five, which I just mentioned. So the gift of prophecy. So prophecy, the ability to see into the future, the ability to know and understand things that are going to happen before they do. Uh, We know about the Old Testament prophets. That's one. Wisdom and knowledge. Think about the possibilities to be highly educated, to have deep insight and understanding. You know, why things are the way they are, how they work, how to apply these facts and insights in ways that could change history. How about faith? Special capacity that we trust God regardless of the circumstances. No matter how things look, we know that God has our back and we trust him that, he's, that there's a reason for it and we can get through it. Faith, it says in scriptures, it can move mountains. And then great wealth and riches that could be used to meet the needs of the poor. So you might say to yourself, well, how many of us have the spiritual gifts in this capacity? We probably wouldn't see too many hands and we probably might say, I don't have any of those. Or we might say, well, maybe I have a little bit of faith and a little bit of this, but you know, that's, that's just not me. What if I told you though, that every believer has blessings far beyond what I've just suggested here. You have blessings far beyond what I've just suggested, better than this wisdom or knowledge, better than faith that can move mountains, better than having special uh, prophecy or great riches. Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 But he ends that chapter by saying, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now remember that he's writing a letter. There's no chapters, there's no verses. Those were added later. It's just a continuous text. So he writes about these spiritual gifts and he says, let me show you a more excellent way. So in chapter 13 is the kind of the continuation of of chapter 12 and the verses there are familiar to many of us you can put slide two up and I'm just going to read the first three you've heard these many times especially at, at weddings if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So these three instances, if you haven't love, you're a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The next section, if you don't have love, you're nothing. And the next, you gain nothing, regardless of how much you give or what you do. So what is it really saying here? What it's saying, it's not just what we do, 
or it's not even what gifts we have that are important, but it's why we do what we do. It's all about our motive. And our motive must be love. And what kind of love is that? It's the kind of love that God has, illustrated so well by John. In John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a love that's undeserved. It's a love that doesn't depend on getting anything. In return, it's a love that's unconditional. Now, it's not natural for humans to have the kind of love that God has. It's easy to love somebody who loves you, or it's easy to love somebody who has appreciation for what you're doing, but, but to have this unconditional love. So how do we get this love, agape love, that God has for us? Now, yes, we're born with God-given natural abilities. All of us are, whether we've accepted Christ as Savior or not. But we're also born with a sinful nature. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And since that time, all people are born without a personal relationship with God. And all of us have an inner drive to turn away from God. We call this original sin. It was interesting that the pastor chose Psalm 51. We didn't coordinate this, but in that same chapter, David says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Romans, Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's not a second physical birth, but it's a spiritual birth. And it happens when we turn from our selfish ways and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Um, slide three, three things happen when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. One is we're forgiven of our sins and we're free from the penalty of sin. It's term is like justification. Think of it like this. It's just like I have never sinned. Our sins are forgiven and they're forgotten. And that's possible because of Christ's death. He took the penalty for us. In addition to being for, uh, of our sins being forgiven, we're given spiritual life, which is what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus. And we're given this spiritual life so that we can stop sinning, turn away from ourselves and turn towards God and that we can live for Christ. The third thing that happens is we're adopted into the family of God and we become his children. Now, part of receiving spiritual life is that we receive the Holy Spirit when we've accepted Christ as our savior. And Jesus promised us this in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. It says, if you love me, 
you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So, in addition to natural abilities and in addition to spiritual gifts, God's given us his Holy Spirit and in Galatians, God provides us with a list of the fruits of the Spirit that are ours because the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. In Galatians 5, to 25, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we love by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So when we accept God, we accept Christ as our Savior, we're born spiritually, God gives us his Holy Spirit to be with us and in us. The Holy Spirit makes us alive to God and he begins to transform us to be more like Jesus. Just like natural abilities and spiritual gifts, these fruits of the Spirit need to be nurtured and developed over time as we mature spiritually and we allow the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Christ. I wanna point out two things. One, the list of the fruits of the Spirit begin with love. Love, joy, peace the kind of love that God, God has, because it's the greatest of all virtues, and it's from love that all the rest of these flow. Secondly, the qualities of the Holy Spirit, those fruits of the Spirit that are listed, are the qualities of God, because in fact the Holy Spirit is God, and those same qualities are the blessing of God to all believers. We were, we were created in his image. And this is his desire for each one of us. In John 13, it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, in a sense, the command of loving one another is not a new command. I mean, when the teachers of the law came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest command? He quoted the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, but what's new about it is, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Christ demonstrated for us the kind of love that we should have for each other. You can put um, slide four up. The first three fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians are love, joy, and peace. Now these are not physical traits. It has nothing to do with our intellect. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we have. But it speaks about who we are as a person and why we act and react the way we do to things. They're Christian attitudes of the heart. 
Scriptures tell us that God is love. In Nehemiah it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in Philippians, Paul says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the same love, joy, and peace that God has. The other fruits are Christian qualities that affect relationships with others, patience, kindness, goodness. But you'll see they all flow from love because if you remember later in 1 Corinthians, it says love is patient, love is kind. Well, here it is. So if you have love, everything else flows from it. And then the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, are Christian principles that guide conduct. So let's, let's summarize. So what special blessings has God given to each one of us? We have natural abilities. We have spiritual gifts. And we have the fruits of the Spirit. All in different capacity, but God's given us everything that we need. What's God's expectation for us? To be motivated by love for God and others to use these God-given blessings that he's given to us. So then you might say, okay, well, how can I know what God wants me to do? Ask him. Just ask him. His Holy Spirit will tell you. It'll come to your mind. You'll see something, you know that's something I'm supposed to do. Um, it's God's desire that we experience the joy of serving out of a heart of love. And he's blessed each one of us who has accepted him as a savior to make that possible. And that's what I've seen in this church for many years, many of the faithful saints. And I think, I know that that's what God is doing and wants to continue to do through each one of us and into the future. Let's close in prayer. Prayer, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to the Manchester Church of the Nazarene this past 125 years and for the faithfulness of those saints that have gone before us. Lord, we want to be faithful servants of yours, motivated by love, to be your witnesses and to serve others. Please help each one of us, Lord, to have a greater awareness of how you would like us to use the special gifts and blessings you have given us for you and for your kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. And now may the Holy Spirit so fill you with his love that the expression of that love will draw everyone you meet to Christ to his glory now and forever. Amen.